0: Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, and I am joined again today after a, a little break by uh, Phil Oakley. How are you doing, Phil? Not bad. I'm all right. Thank I am you. very glad to hear it. It's very good to see you. Um, you. And as uh, as I think you uh, heavily trailed on Twitter to, to some excitement, we have a special guest with us today, and that special guest is Peter Higgins. How are you doing, Peter? I'm very well. Peter Thank Higgins you, of, uh, of Conker's fame. Thank you for having me. Thank you. No, no problem at all. I just So we met recently, didn't we, at, the, uh, at our awards?
1: Yes, it was very, very um, nice awards at Glaziers Hall um, That's off right, London yeah. Bridge. Very prestigious. I felt a little bit out of place, but it was lovely to, to meet certain people, including yourself.
0: I always feel out of place at those <laughs> things. I mean, I mean, it's, uh, um, in fact, uh, the, the award supplement, which tells you who all the winners are, is in this week's magazine. So, so uh, yeah. A lot of a uh, lot of lot of uh, bumper material there, but yeah, Peter, it's great to have you on. Uh, now I know you uh, through Conker's Corner do a lot of interviews with other people, and I think uh, there is a lot of popular demand for, uh, for you to be on the other end of the uh, of the interviewing process. So here we are. So so tell us a bit about yourself. What do you, what do you do? What's got, You know, what's your um, what's your investment philosophy?
1: My, my investment philosophy is quite a simple one. It's, it's called keep it simple, you know, and um, invest patiently. Do it slowly. And if you can, do as much research as you possibly can on a stock so you know what you actually own. Uh, A lot of people, um, unfortunately, will take the shortest route possible to investing. And that is not always the best way to go about selecting a stock, especially if you want to hold it for three years, five years, ten years plus.
0: When, when When you say the shortest route possible, you mean... Hear, hearing a name and, and a, jumping in?
1: Well, for instance, you have um, certain papers will give a tip on a Sunday evening or, or Sunday, Sunday papers will come out. And that's all that someone needs for, I won't say names of, of certain people, but they've done their article in the Sunday supplement of a paper. And on Monday morning, you can see the, the market makers have got that particular stock and the share price is up 5 10%. But X amount of private investors are buying that stock. On a Monday,
0: we we do have a problem with it ourselves. Obviously, mm. uh, we we've got a, a, a small cap writer Simon Thompson who who's yep. very heavily followed, and, and it does happen to it, to, to the it, stuff that he writes.
1: It, and he's written very very favourably into a stock that I, <laughs> that I currently oh. own. So I, I love Simon. He's, he's, he's um he's got a great record, and is I think he's, he's undervalued by the private investors. To be fair, um because invariably he's looking for stocks that are. Um, sometimes and most of the times off the radar, and that's where I want to do my research. A lot of people want to be in the the um, fear of missing out stocks and the momentum stocks that are going and racing away, but actually, what you want to be involved in is a stock that's off the radar, that's slowly growing, that's slowly going about its business, that's not championing it itself or um, getting touted by everybody.
0: So, so, um, and we talked earlier about your your sort of style and what yeah. you're interested in at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, tell Tell us about that and, and 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 how this this investment philosophy plays out in what you're actually doing at the moment
1: um at the moment um and it has been for a little while actually i I like stocks that are not necessarily thematic but they've got a vast exposure to artificial intelligence machine learning tech tech per se
0: well it sounds pretty pretty thematic
1: well it, it is uh, for for me it's about where does where does the future lie, and the future doesn't lie in bricks and mortar in a sense of retail stocks. So for retail stocks, unless they've got omni-channels, they're going to struggle because the footfall around retail is, is just dwindling. Everyone wants everything very, very quickly. So they're going online to research, whether mm. they're, they're, they're looking for travel, commercial, consumer products. Everybody wants it, ac- ac- wants it yesterday, basically.
0: Yeah, so absolutely. Text
1: the way to go um, for most of my investments. So that's where the Ixico comes in.
0: Ixico being the Ixico uh, Simon, being Simon, stock Simon Thompson stock.
1: And with, with regards to that, you've got, um, we've got an aging population. We all know that it's globally. I think it's Italy, Italy and China are probably the worst case scenarios. So you've got the likes of um, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which is like the two, you know, and dementia being the third one, where the pharmaceutical companies have been trying for decades now to resolve that. And that's three of the areas that they're working on but you've got the Glasgow's and the, and the AstraZeneca's of the world that are now essentially tech companies, and no one's cottoned on to the fact that they're now tech companies. They're using artificial intelligence, big data, machine learning, to crunch all that data so that they can see, actually, this is not going to actually make it through phase one or two. Let's just dump it, move on to the next one, move on to the next one. So you're not wasting seven years of research on a product or a drug that's going to fail. And that's where the AI comes in.
0: And presumably that, that will create a lot of shareholder value in removing Absolute, those failures from the process.
1: Absolutely. So now they've got a huge pipeline over the next three to five years. Whereas the previous, going up to 2017, uh, mid-2018, mid the pipeline was dwindling. So they were getting lampooned by everybody and the share price was, you know, being impacted. They had the, the mystic issue, which, you know, didn't go very well, uh, fail. And now the pipeline's now steadily growing so I see that, you know, I'm not, obviously it's the largest portf- stock in my portfolio. That, that's AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca. Yeah. Um. So you've got the situation where the growth is there. And the theme, the biggest theme of all is aging and longevity. It's the biggest theme of all. That's where the most money is being poured.
0: Yeah. I, I, I've actually written about thematic investing myself yeah. this week. I, I, I think it's the way to go. I, I, the more I think about it. It's the way we should be thinking about our investments. Actually, what, what is the world going to look like in, in the years ahead? And what are the themes that, that are behind that? And I, I think you're right. Longevity is, is a really significant one, really significant. Completely agree with you. Um, so with Conker's Corner, yeah. obviously uh, you do a lot of interviews with, uh, with other investors, um, including Phil. In fact, you've done three, haven't you? I have, yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. Did you, what did you talk about? I mean, the question, the question I'm, I'm going to ask is, what, are you, <clears throat> what have you learned from them? What, you know, so you've, you've spoken to some of the best investors out there. What, what do you hear from them? You know, Are there common themes that come through?
1: The, the common theme, and this is the beauty of speaking to people that are authentic, is that they're all learning still. You've got fund managers, you've got economists, you've got multimillionaires. I've interviewed one billionaire and it's about being adaptable the markets are changing so the what used to work in the 60s 70s 80s 90s won't necessarily work unless you're adaptable Mm. so we've got a situation now where lots of people have been talking all year oh i'm all cashed up pete or i've got 80 percent of my money in cash and i'm thinking well that shows that you're quite rigid in your discipline in your style that's great but how adaptable are you to the markets the markets will stay here and Not really move, or it could spike in the next three months because of the macro noises they're all over with, and you 're sitting there in cash
0: I, I worry about the shift to cash yeah, as markets continue mm. to yeah particularly in the u s make new heights I mean you're, you're missing out on that Absolutely. cash doesn't protect you from, from anything if the markets are getting getting stronger
1: so so you, you're learning from people that are investors you're learning from people that are traders you're learning from people that are technical analysts, and the beauty of it is that there's no there's, you shouldn't be one type of investor because invariably stocks move, they're going to hit certain averages, they're going to hit volume, they're going to hit MA. so you have to be in a place where you are ready to move with that stock and invariably some people will say, you know what, I own for instance AstraZeneca <laughs> stock so therefore the Mystic trials have failed, it's down 30% Woodford then comes out and says, I mean, you know what I'm going to stick by this stock, three months later he sold out, so you've had the failure Woodford sold out it's carnage. Everyone's going, time to get out of AstraZeneca. So I was getting lots of different DMs and messages saying, how come you haven't sold? What are you going to do? So I've kept that stock. So Woodford's out of the stock between 30, 40, 43 to 47. The stock yesterday, I've not looked at it today, was £75. So he sold a billion, two billion billion worth of AstraZeneca stock at 40, 46 it's now seventy-five. I mean,
0: it takes discipline to do this, it, it, and we, we spoke about this earlier—the the sort of mental discipline to take that approach—and that's something I know you're uh, you're very keen on exploring.
1: For me, the, the the major issue for for most people is that it's a case of what's the word I'm looking for? The are scared of taking losses. Yeah.
0: Loss, loss aversion. Loss, loss of, massive, massive aversion. Cognitive bias.
1: Yeah, a huge cognitive bias, and we have to get used to the fact that we nobody—not Warren Buffett, clearly not Woodford will get by through a cycle, whether it be a three-year cycle or a 20-year or 30-year cycle, without taking losses. Warren Buffett, for instance, lost money with the Walmart investment. Tesco as well. And, and Tesco as well. So there's going to be a big purge on everybody else thinking, you know what, I can't take this loss. Nobody wants to take a loss. Hmm. We have to get used to taking losses. They happen. Profit warnings happen. You know, invariably, and, and you know, you further down the food chain, you go to the smaller caps. You know, some companies will be not so open with the whole truth nothing but the truth regarding what's no. going on no surely not. <laughs> so when the, the when the shock and awe comes out and you see a, sh- a stock down 30 40 percent you're thinking oh that's why that ceo or cfo sold x amount of stock x amount of months
0: ago yeah so i guess i guess that kind of you know, illustrates the point that you were making that you've got to you've got to be uh, watch. You do have to watch companies. You, you, you do, and what, and what the sh- you know key shareholders are doing. You've got to watch the key shareholders. But I, I think the most essential thing is knowing
1: knowing what you've bought the first time. So researching that company. So yeah. I, I, I'll get mocked on Twitter, for instance, because I I will spend and I have done more recently over 120 hours researching a stock just not to buy it. Yeah. So I've done all that research. I'm going yeah. I can see that red flag, I'm just going to ignore it for a little while and I'll carry on, I'll carry on, I'll carry on. And I'll get to the point where I'm, I'm like, absolutely not, cannot, cannot invest in that now because it's just got too much stuff going on. There's too much noise for me, um, so I'm going to leave that.
0: How, how do you do your research? What what,
1: what sort so of
0: information are you looking
1: my, at? My, my first thing is, and we, we might talk about a certain individual or we may not later on, I first start with who's the CEO, who's the CFO, what have they done, where have they been, what's been their enumeration how have they um, looked after shareholders, not just themselves? How have they managed that company over the past two or three years or the previous companies that they've been in? And I'm looking at all of that information. After that, I'm looking at the niche that they're in and what they've done and who their competitors are, who their peers are. That's the first bit of stuff that I'm looking at.
0: So you're looking at the people behind the company? Absolutely. The competitive landscape? Absolutely. What about the uh, what about the financials? When does that come into the... Uh, financials? Uh, are the third element for me. It's quite interesting, Phil, because you've talked about you've talked about this a lot. I mean, obviously, you are a, an expert in financial analysis. Uh, and obviously, Tim Steers' book talks a lot about, you know, a lot of the clues to bad business businesses are often in the annual reports. But you've said yourself, you've got to understand the business before even you look at the numbers. Yeah, I think you've, you've got to understand
2: how, how a company makes money and how, how a company then might continue to make money and hopefully make more money. So you have to ask yourself what is what is this company doing? What does this company make? What services company provide that is a little bit special? Because it has to do something to, be, to become a special investment, unless it's at a very distressed share price.
0: It has to do something that very few of its peers and competitors do. And I guess that's where the competitive analysis comes in. Is, it, yes. is this a company doing something unique? Does it have a competitive moat, as we call it? Mm. For me, yeah. for me, I, I spend a lot of time
2: looking for problem solvers, companies that make a product or provide a service that solves a human problem, and that's that's where you can get the really winning winning products that are difficult to copy, and you get this run at this. You I know, mean, we talked about themes earlier, so if you ha- you have a theme. And then there's a problem that needs solving within that theme, and you've got a company that can do that. That's when you start trying to get you can get
0: hold on, I might be onto something. Yeah. Here. And, and this, I guess, is what you're looking for in, the, in terms of the problem that you're you're most interested in yeah. longevity. Absolutely. So, so you've
1: got a situation where we are going to be living longer. We are. So the part of the AI, medtech pharma sort of solution now is personalization of medicines and drugs. Mm-hmm. Ordinarily you get a one you know one size fits all whether you're male or female whether you are a your cultural background doesn't matter that one drug is meant to be for universal global and it's just sent out by the pharmaceutical and bi- bi- biotech companies. Going forward checking your your genes and your DNA etc you'll get a personalized medicine just for John Newman, just for Phil Oakley, just for Peter Higgins. That's the way it's going to be.
0: So yeah, these com- yeah, yeah.
1: these pharmaceutical billion pound companies are investing heavily on that.
0: And you've also got I mean companies like Google are involved in healthcare increasingly. So uh, through uh, Google, Alphabet, whatever you want to call it yep, these yeah, days, yeah. so through uh, the DeepMind mm-hmm. subsidiary. So I mean mm-hmm. it, it is it is a really fascinating area.
1: It's one of the big one of the big one of the big well it already is one of the biggest industries in the world, which no one's actually talking about.
0: So complicated though. So good. Cool. I'm not surprised to, you have to do 120 hours research. Well, to. Uh, it's
1: complicated because, you know, especially with AI and, and medtech, we're all unique individuals. So to, to get that data that says, you know, that this particular drug is the best drug for X. That's, you know, that's, that's where the, we're now going towards the other element of it is quantum computing, which has become a mm-hmm. very interesting space. So you've got them all competing now. IBM, obviously, obviously had their um, Watson computing and was going to be deemed to be the number one. And now someone else is coming into that space saying, "Actually, we've superseded your computer." There's going to be outrage, so they're going to have to reinvest and reinvest in that.
0: So we talked about um, AstraZeneca. Yes, we talked about Ixico. Yeah. What, what else are you uh, are you invested in at the moment
1: on the comp- um, quantum computing side of it? Um, Oxford. Instruments is the company that's done really, really well for me um, year to date. I think it's up um, seventy odd percent. It's been quietly doing what it's been doing for for years now, and it's not actually had the credit for it. But now, regarding getting into a lot of the aerospace side of things, the quantum computing side of it, it's suddenly taking off for no reason. I'm, and I'm I'm quite concerned because it's gone up quite a lot in year to date. So my concern always been when shares move too quickly, is there a predator approaching? You know, to mm. take it over? Because one of the problems we've got. And and Phil, Phil's talked about this in the past. We've got a lot of quality companies in the UK, but they don't get taken over by UK companies. They get taken over by overseas predators. And it's another UK gem. We don't want to lose it. So I'm hoping that it's just growing and getting recognition finally.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But how, however, you can buy overseas companies. Do, I, do you do you invest? Uh, I very
1: rarely do. The really? last the last um, US stock I bought was Twitter because I saw it becoming a, a, a data company. I sold out of that a little while back, so I haven't bought a US share for a little while. And it's, and, and it's to my detriment, really, because they've the far exceeded what the average sort of US stock has, UK stock has done.
0: I mean, the, the, you know, the, the really exciting companies in, in the space you're talking about are, are I, I, not I, necessarily ab- in the UK. Absolutely. But when when you
1: take into consideration the the the, the 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 number of hours I spend researching and the fact that I'm having to research US stocks, the data that you're going to get from a US stock, ordinarily, the new data is after two o'clock, and then they're running the markets until nine o'clock UK time. So I'm starting the markets usually about six o'clock, looking at previous data from the night before in the US. This is what I used to do before. The UK markets open at seven. RNS comes out. I'm researching that. Before I know it, I've got a 14 hour day. It's not sustainable.
0: But you're playing a you're playing a, a long term game here. A very so, long term, yeah. So, you know, you're not necessarily buying on the news as it comes out. And, I, you know, one of the things we talked about earlier was, was this tendency for people to, to be watching the markets all the time, watching yep. their portfolios all the time. And and you don't do that. I, d-
1: I don't do that. I mean, what, what I like about where, where I'm at at the moment in the markets is that it enables me to do... And my big passion at the moment is community stuff. So I do a lot of volunteering, a lot of mentoring. Um, and I was at you know Phil's Beloved Emirates yesterday, yesterday doing some work with the, the communities of... Um, of of, of London
0: is it beloved (laughs) Phil because all I ever see you do is complain
2: (laughs) he's complaining this season he's missing arson the trying trying relationship at the moment Mm.
1: yeah so it it frees up my time so I I, I'm an investor so I'm buying a stock I don't need to look at it on a daily basis I want to see when the R&S is coming out I want to see when the trading data is coming out Um, but ordinarily you know I'm here today I don't need to be watching the markets today I've not looked at the markets much this week because I've been in, in London you know And I'm in Cambridge tomorrow. So (laughs) investors who have got patients that have done their research do not need to be in front of their screens. They can live life and go outside and look after themselves.
0: Unless they're trading, of course, which is a a whole different game. We've heard a lot about that from Michael Taylor. Yeah,
1: traders that trade and do it well are brilliant, and they know exactly what to look for and the signposts to look for. And they will also spend a a significant amount of time researching and doing what they're doing. They Mm. need to because the markets are moving so quickly and so volatile. And invariably, when you 've got a time frame with certain stocks, they could move vol- quite with a certain level of volatility as well, even though you 're not investing on them because we're we've now got AI and technology and algorithms that are pushing the markets I think you spoke before about ETFs and all they're pushing the market they've they 've got so much weight they can shift a billion pound stock mm. five or ten percent so if you 're not used to taking a, a shift in a stock of five ten percent then you're going to get pushed out of the stock and you're not going to make the significant returns in a stock unless you're holding it for a long time. So um, we were at Mello, and I, I, I was on stage with a couple of other individuals, and there's a, a guy who is a, a, he a long-term investor, but he looked at me in absolute shock, and I said, oh, I've held Dash Rezonics since 1994. He was yes, that's what makes a long-term investor. It's not two years or three years. It's Warren Buffett-style, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, and that's where, going back to the question before of what I learned, John Lee... To me, he's one of the best investors. Lord, in Lord the world. Lee. Lord John Lee. Yep. So, you know, he's, he's holding stocks for 30, 40, 50 years.
0: Well, do you know yeah. one thing? I, while, while we're on the subjects of Lord Lee, I've promised him a review of his book that he's written to teach uh, financial education to to kids yep. for ages. And I haven't done it yet. And for that, I apologise, Lord Lee. But mm. I'm going to give you a plug right now. John Lee has got a, a great book. Teaching financial yep. education to kids. The, so. the
1: Here's the plug. The, the, the book is called Yummy Yoga. That's the it's, 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 out, it's out there. He's a brilliant guy. I interviewed him um, early in the year at Mello for the book. And he promised me at the time he was going to sign a copy for me, which I thought was great. Um, and He came with the book and he said, what would you like me to write in the book? And that's the first signed book and investing book. That my daughter now has—that's her book—and he signed it to my daughter.
0: Get, 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 get a signed copy of Phil's. It went up in the office. I've already got. i got one. <laughs> Phil and I had this conversation. No,
1: this is very true. It's a very true point. We were doing the mellow. We were doing a masterclass um, last year, and I'm, I'm and I'm on this interview now. And what people don't realize about myself is that I do interviews, but I'm I, I'm an introvert, right? And you might find you? Out to, Yeah. So, I, <laughs> but, but I'm a curious introvert in the sense of I like to, to research. I'm an information junkie. So I want to find out about Phil. I want to find out about you. But I, mm-hmm. I'm a background... Do you
0: want to go down that hole. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I prefer to stay in the background. So we're doing this masterclass. I'm having to chair it. And Phil's one of the guys on, on, on the panel. Lord Lee's on the panel, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And I'm absolutely petrified. And I'm having a conversation with Phil. And he texts me aside and goes, Pete, just relax. You'll be absolutely fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be good.
0: Takes his own d- advice.
1: So that... So <laughs> so that you know, and I practice mindfulness and I practice, you know, all these other things. And I was... Bricking it, yeah, it's daunting. So yeah, it, was. it was, and daunting. So, so to go back to the point I was making was that I had spoken to Phil about the book beforehand, and you know I, I'm not championing his book. It's a brilliant book, and I said, Phil, you've got to sign this. And I was there like a you know like a lovesick puppy taking the book to Phil, and he signed it for me. So there you go, it was my signed book.
0: Phil's book is uh, a is, is, is a great book. It's it's behind a lot of the thinking in the in how we we're sort of re re our uh, our approach to to company analysis. Actually, at the moment, it's, it's, yeah, quality it's, is a bit, key. A bit embarrassing, you here. It has its drawbacks. Yeah, I know. You, I know you're never happy with stuff, and I know you've talked to me about it's very to rewrite it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's it's a very numbers focused, book, and I find I find which is I think is important, and and I, I wrote it because. There was a, for me, there was a gap in the market, particularly for UK investors studying UK financial information and how to use, how to use that in a, not in terms of a dry, but actually a practical way about how people use it to invest. Um, I spend a lot more time now, um, you know, as we talked a few minutes ago, getting behind businesses and understanding how those numbers are created. But the numbers the numbers are are important because they can they can lead you to very interesting situations or potentially very interesting situations very quickly. They won't get you to everything. You know, they won't get you into early start companies that aren't making any money, but they can get you into into businesses that are resilient and have still have a good long term future in front of them. But uh Yeah, I mean I I, I think the numbers The numbers tell you a lot, but I I, I say this even in the book, and I say it all the time. Investing is not a painting by numbers exercise. The numbers are confirmation to you as the investor that you have something that is either good or bad. Let's face it, investing is all about numbers. It is about money. We are all investing to grow the, uh, the value of our money.
0: Which is, in fact, what you talk about in your column this week, really, in terms yeah. of um, valuing companies and, and w- yeah. what you should pay for them.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, valuation, and again, but I think I think one of the biggest mistakes I, I made, I have made, is being far too focused on valuation. I think valuation is important, and paying too much is something that every investor should uh, um, avoid at all possible. But actually, paying up for a very, very good business and having the ability to stick with it for many years is that's where the real money's made in investing. I don't think it's made in buying beaten up value stocks. Cigar butt,
0: cigar butt investing.
2: Yeah, it's not cigar butt. But, but investing, it worked a long time ago. It doesn't work much now because I think the market is so switched on now that something that looks like a cigar butt is looks like it for a reason, and it's not. It's not worth smoking, mm. and the real the real money is made over long term compounding of growing profits and cash flows. And I think people need to be aware that that doesn't come cheaply. And I think we have seen a big shift away. I mean, we we always hear about you know value investing that is coming back in fashion, or it will come back in fashion. The real key component is the ability of the company to grow profits and that's how that's how investors will make money and what peter's talking about lord lee talks about i think you know lord lee's um probably greatest bit of wisdom is is saying that people have to have patience and it is allowing that ability to for a business just to keep keep growing over the long haul it'll have its ups and downs but if the the long-term trend is up obviously you, know, you don't know that without hindsight, but you mm. can you can look for the characteristics that suggest that could happen.
0: Well, I mean, we talked about trends earlier. Trends, are, I mean, you don't know exactly which way what's going to happen in you know in the future with a given trend. So when you're doing your research, Peter, when you're looking at companies for uh, an extensive amount of time, are you looking at the sort of the, the big picture, the macro picture, the sort of background research that, that perhaps tells you what what a trend, how a trend is likely to evolve?
1: M- macro comes into it a bit later. Um, for, for me, the, the most important part of the, the macro, macro element is, you know, you've got to, you've got to look at where the revenues are being generated. So if you if you've got a, a UK centric um, stock and most of the revenues generated in the UK, then you're looking at what's going on in the, the UK picture. Mm. But the, the vast majority of my stocks are, are generating revenue from overseas as well. Um, AstraZeneca, obviously, U, US lots of revenue from there. So I'm looking at what's going on. So in the past, you've had various politicians saying, "Oh, we're going to." sorts out the pricing for, for drugs all the pharmaceutical companies are going to get hit because the revenues are generated from the US so you've got to look at that sort of macro picture if they, are they going to push 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 so they're going to end up where all the pricing for drugs gets depressed AstraZeneca and all the rest of them are going to get hit
0: yeah you know? absolutely.
1: and you've, you've got a situation where you've got certain companies that are involved in sports you know you've got Arsenal you've got Man United what happens on a macro level if they're knocked out of the Champions League they're going to be impacted so you've always always got to look at the different dynamics that impact that particular stock.
0: I guess it all goes back yeah. to research.
1: It goes back to research. And we've, we've talked, I've talked previously about the trade war situation. It's, it's going to happen. It's going to have a deal, going to have a deal. The minute that he says there's a deal done, great, the markets will, will rejoice and relax a little bit. But if they don't, what happens then? The market's going to go on the way and potentially again.
0: Well, it's quite, it's quite interesting. I mean, with, you know, there is no, no deal so far, and the S&P 500 is making, it keeps making new highs. Yeah. Uh, and and this, this ties nicely into uh, the, the opening piece in your Alpha report this week, uh, Phil, which, which I guess both of you, as an investor in AstraZeneca since mm. 1994, would, would testify to the benefits of doing nothing. I, I love this concept. It's very Nick Train.
2: Terry Smith as mm, well. Mm, mm, yeah,
0: mm. I've had a good idea since, uh, since 2006. <laughs> mm, mm. But, I, but I love this idea.
2: I, I think we all need to chill out a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think there is a tendency amongst all of us to think that more is better. And I I'll you know, make make this sort of point. I'm not advocating complacency here. I'm not advocating a lack of diligence and forgetting and doing sort of buy and forget. But you just need to focus on what what the necessary bits are. You know, and I mention it today. You know, companies tend to report twice a year. That's when you tend to get most of the the information about about your investment and how how well it's doing. Yes, you will get news flow in between them, and 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 you can always always learn by looking at competitors and researching new stocks. But I think. Once the hard, the hard work in investing, if you're investing in a portfolio of, of individual shares, the legwork's done up front, you know, by what Peter's gone on about today. It's about knowing what you own, knowing the market, knowing the competitive strength or otherwise, get that in place. Hopefully, you don't buy it at a ridiculously high price and then just leave it, leave it to bake. You know, let, let the businesses earn you the money. And that and that requires, you know, waiting for a long period of time. Or if you you know if you're gonna do it through a tracker fund, just set up a tracker fund if you don't want to invest in individual stocks. The so same same mentality. Put it onto a autopilot, um, get your broker to automatically reinvest your
0: dividends and just get on with other more important stuff. Mm. And your your fancy sip. Which is what, how many shares in there? 21 shares. Yep. You haven't really touched it much this year. I think I've, I, I have done three changes, I think, at the start of the year. And
2: with and the I've exception bought, of... I bought Smith & Nephew recently, which hasn't worked out well. But well, it might do. Longevity?
0: Yeah. We're going to need might. about six hips before we dive. <laughs> <laughs> but, Absolutely. But no, it's, it's,
2: yeah, it's doing all right.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, 26.1% over the year, 296 year today, and there's nothing better except for Smithson. Investment
1: trust, yeah, yeah. Doing well,
2: the wrong job, Phil.
1: No, but Smith's got a premium because <laughs> it's a new, it's a new fund as well. Yeah. So lots of people jumped into that as well. So that's why it's got a bit of accelerated growth over a short space of
2: time. I, I so think that, there's yeah. a lot of luck to some of this, though. You know, it's you don't you, talk yourself you, down, should, like, Phil. No, <laughs> no, no. It's not. I'm not trying to be falsely modest. Here, but you know, there's. But I've had some fortunate, fortunate events. London Stock Exchange has been an absolute driver of of return. But then even things like Avon Rubber, which is what I added added this year. Um that's up sixty five percent year to date. I think that's a fantastic, fantastic company. Companies like Spirexarco, Halma, and then also um in America, this this is a portfolio that's benefited from having some some very good American shares, Visa and MasterCard. And then in recent uh, recent weeks, Walt Disney's done very well because of the uh, the reception around um Disney Plus. Disney Plus. yeah, Disney Plus, yeah.
0: yeah. Mm. Which, is, which is actually, we've, we've done a big piece on the uh, streaming market in this week's magazine. Harriet Clarfell's written that. I mean, it is fascinating what's mm. going on there. Um, They've got great content. They do have great content. You know. But there's a lot of people out there with great content. Well, and I'm not sure
2: Netflix has got great content. It's got some I, great content. I don't think, it, I'm not sure it's
0: got enough. Yeah, well, i, I, I finished I, the crown already, mm. so. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree on that, because they having
1: to purchase it from other people.
0: Yeah, So they've, yeah, yeah. they've
1: done some significant programming on um, Netflix of their own, and they're going to have to do more of that, and that's going to cost them a lot of but, lot of money.
2: But the Disney stuff is going to come off Netflix. Absolutely. You know? And it's you look at it like, from a UK point of view. I mean, I'd look at BritBox, the, the BBC ITV thing, and I was really disappointed with it. I, I, I thought HBO, it was really it? poor in terms of the, the scale of the, the catalogue on there.
0: I'm quite interested in the new HBO service. Big fan of HBO, yeah. which you get through Sky, like, right? the on our TV. Mm-hmm. It's uh, great stuff on there. Yeah. Mm. But uh, no, no, I mean, it, it, it's fascinating the idea that you do very little and and can do so well. And I, and I guess one of the big concerns in the markets at the moment is that, particularly the US, that it's too expensive, mm-hmm. that we've got this political worry in the UK. But I mean, you've addressed that as well, uh, Phil. Yeah. You're I, not convinced that that's true. I, I'm really bullish on the UK. And and even the US, you're not convinced it's overvalued it, it, as people uh, suggest.
2: Look, it's highly valued you know if you look at things like historic it's not that much above its average pe you know I, th- I think i was reading something the other day that you know the forward pe was about 16 17 or something it's not that bad which is not that much different from its from its long term average you know people are obviously worried that we've been in a very long period of of earnings growth there's been a lot of share buybacks that have been supporting that growth and People will question the quality of the growth, but you know, America. I think particularly is the home to the you know to the best companies. I think they great.
0: I think it's, it's mm. great companies. Yeah, yeah. That are well, what? they're either creating these trends we're talking about, not necessarily longevity. Mm. A long, well, you can't you create
1: longevity. Yeah, there are some there are some <laughs> companies over there. But um, you know,
2: you you look at you know, it's really easy for a, you know for a UK investor to gain exposure. You know the tracker fund. I own Vanguard S and P five hundred ETF. It's seven basis points, and it is you know it's up twenty four percent year to date in sterling terms. That has thrashed most active UK fund managers, and it's cost investors very, very
0: little. Mm, Absolutely. I mean, just going back to the point, Peter, about the uh, frequency of trading. Yeah, I guess you are not a a particularly frequent trader
1: no I, I i try to do as little trading as possible I'll, I'll see the odd occasion regarding a particular stock and i might might do the odd trade i think
0: what one that one that you own already though or no, not necessarily one i own
1: already there was an occasion this year The ticker symbol was um was tla and i think i held the stock for about a week and a half and i made 554 percent on that particular stock it was just because i read i read the rns and i thought oh no one's taken any, and this is what happens, you see. There's RNSs there's and there's RNSs. Unless it's a hot stock and all the traders and all the rampers are talking about it, the actual news within RNSs and, and the RNS feed doesn't get actually read. People it, don't read all of the RNS, they read the headline and that's it. Mm. So sometimes you've got to look between the whole of the information there and you see one little strap line, you think, haha. And they were selling, selling a subsidiary off um, to, to a, um, an Australian company, and I thought, Hmm. And I looked at, did a bit of research, looked at some of the parts, and I thought they could get X, Y, and Z for that subsidiary. And if that actually takes, if they actually sell that, obviously there's not certainty. Then this is what they're going to get. The market cap is X. They're going to get Y. I'm going to have a little nibble on there. And they actually executed. And then when, as soon as the minute the R and S came out, it went whoosh up 200. Well, percent it's an opportunistic trade. That, but that's a rare thing. That I, yeah. That's once a year.
0: But in terms of time. your core portfolio, you're not, you're not turning, you're not turning no, it really.
1: I, I'm not. And. And the reason being is that I, I like to have my free time to do whatever else I want to do. Mm. But the, the great thing about doing the occasional trade, and invariably, I think I think Michael touched on this a little while back. We end up being traders because there's a stock that we like, and we've probably a bit overly invested in. And, and in my side of researching it, sometimes I'm a little bit, oh yeah, I'm sticking with this. So we're invariably trading anyway because we're reinvesting our dividends. So that's part of trading, mm-hmm. yeah. But sometimes a stock will get knocked for a particular reason, or it'll fall down you know, over its long-term trading average. So I'll think, you know what, there's an opportunity there. I'm going to buy some more of that stock. So it's not just reinvesting a dividend. I'm buying it because it's falling down three, four, five, 15%. And I'm wanting, like Phil says, to be patient with it and actually run the stock a bit longer. So I'll buy some more. So that essentially is trading, but I see that also as reinvesting in the stock. Because
0: I think it's how you mentioned your, your piece this week, Phil. Sometimes falling share price is great because you can just uh, yeah, you know. grab, a, grab a bit more. Yeah, I mean, particularly if you are,
2: you know, I'm a big fan of dividend reinvestment. You know, if you you've got a a company that where, and this is where this is where you focus on the business rather than the share price. So, if the business is doing well, and you know you're getting a higher dividend, and the stock market decides to have a a bad few weeks, you want you you want to welcome that as an investor because it means you just buy stock cheaper, and you lock in lock in higher future returns. Yeah, can't say any more than that really. uh, Having said that,
0: there are some companies that seem to just keep falling. We covered uh, a couple that De La Rue being one of them this week. No longer a licence to print money. Yeah. No.
1: That, that's the adage. I was gonna give an example there, Phil, yeah. back back to the Brexit days, okay? So we had the, the referendum vote. I had been I'd always said, Oh, I can't buy uh, persimmon. Right. Yeah. It's too pricey. I think we had a conversation shortly after it as well. Can't buy it, can't buy it. And the two days, three days before the EU, EU vote it was a £21 stock. On the 27th of June, it was a £12 stock, yielding 8.8%. Now, if you're renting property in around London, you can't get 8.8% for love and the money. So I was there at £12 and 7 pence thinking, I'm having some of that.
2: So I was buying and buying yeah, and buying. That was, was a great day. It was, a great day. <laughs> yeah. it was a great but, day. It, it, Telford it, it, Homes was the other one as yeah, well. Telford was Homes absolutely hammered on the
0: 24th of June. Yeah. 26. So, oh, there were loads of you know, so, so, loads so,
2: of so then I rode that up,
1: collecting the yield, and it went up to 24 and a half quid and blah, blah, blah. But this is what I'm saying. Sometimes you get the opportunity, the market will give you opportunities. So you don't have to chase a stock. You have to just be patient with it. How
2: many existing shareholders do you think? I mean, obviously, we don't know the answer to this, but you just wonder how many existing shareholders were frightened out of stocks on that day? 80%.
0: Loads of them. Eighty percent. Yeah, I know absolutely.
1: And fund managers were scared to, to death. They were all just selling tranches. I got a, a call the next day from a fund manager saying, "We're still selling."
2: Like, and this, this to luck. me, this to me comes back to the you know the important aspect of investing to do with temperament. You're either in shares for me for the long for the long. If you're an investor, I'm not talking about being a trader here. If, mm-hmm. You know, you're an investor. You're in for the long haul. Otherwise, you're out you know it's as, it's as simple simple as that and you have to accept that you are going to get these these days where people will act like the world is coming to an end mm. and you will get rough periods you know I, you know there's some terrible periods for investors between in my experience of you know working in in the, in the city you know between 2001 and 2003 it was really grim
0: yeah, I was there, man. Yeah. It, was, uh... yeah, it was grim,
2: <laughs> yeah, but, 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 it's but horrible. At, you know, but actually, you were able to buy. You know, oh, two thousand three. Two thousand and three. You know, the, it was the end of growth. You know, you were buying. You were buying companies that you know didn't even have to grow their profits to be worth thirty, forty percent worth the, more than their share price. did the
0: Pussy 100 get down to at that point? At now, three three. It was three three.
2: Wasn't at it? three like, uh, three. Yeah. Warren Buffett, you know, says, "You know, you be greedy, and others are fearful." And now, you know, it doesn't always work, but it yeah. and it takes time for it to it to pay off. But history won't always repeat itself. But you have to be. You not only have to be patient, you have to be, at the very least, a little bit
0: optimistic as well. What's well, the old uh, Marsh Simpson? Uh, triumph yeah. of the optimist you know, yeah. Equity yeah. investing it's, is the triumph of the optimist. It, it, you know, share, share
2: investing is not unless you're a short seller. Mm. You know, and, I'm not, and again, I'm not talking about blind faith here, but you know you have to be relatively, you have to be relatively upbeat that you think that the future is going to be better than mm. the past. Uh, I agree. I,
1: I think the other aspect of it as well is that you have to be willing to be wrong, and that's and what, you will, be, yeah, and yeah, you will and, be. And the, wrong. A lot of investors aren't willing to be wrong. And it's not just about loss, of, loss aversion; it's the fact that they've always got to get that investment right, and no one, no one gets every single investment right. And
2: yeah, then like, and then absolutely. the danger is you become you, you have that fear. Yes. therefore
0: you don't do anything you don't do
1: anything, which is why lots of people are in cash. Absolutely. So yeah. it goes back to the conversation we were having earlier about um, Nick Murray.
0: The famous quote is "Time, time in the market, not timing." Than timing the market. Absolutely. I, I actually, I actually looked at the numbers behind that that particular phrase. It's extraordinary, and and it's basically about. It's about market recoveries. So if if you've gone into cash and then miss 10, 20, 60 trading days as the market recovers after a period of you know drawdown, you miss the gains. And Oops. you know if you miss too many days, mm. your, your your performance thing is, is falling. Is, you look at
2: you know you look at the markets at the moment and you just think, okay, I can go to cash. Now I can understand risk averse people who. Maybe saving for retirement or what have you, or they're saving. They've met met a savings goal, or they're close to a savings goal, and they don't want to risk it. I to- totally get yep. that. But you know, you look at the two the two main two main enemies of stock market investors are rising interest rates and rising inflation. And certainly, on rising interest rates, that threat isn't there. Inflation, you know, you always get pockets. In various different sections of the economy, where you think well, you, you can see a bit of inflation, but generally speaking, relative to you know the nineteen seventies and the nineteen eighties, inflation doesn't doesn't seem to be a problem. So holding holding cash, you know the the opportunity co- cost of holding cash is actually quite high.
0: Yeah, I mean mm. you should have some cash. <laughs> Everyone should have some cash, the rainy day fund or the uh, the uh, the dry powder. As you might call it in PE, to take advantage of those opportunities you talked about when they come along.
1: Uh, absolutely, there's, there's, a, there's a great quote um, from Lord Lee, and he, um, he calls it the the heart attack fund, right? The heart so attack fund. Yeah, you're meant to have some cash ready for anything that's going on. But the great thing about the 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 monies at the moment and having cash available is that there's always going to be another opportunity in the market. There's always gonna be a stock that's deeply undervalued. And if you if you if you are hundred percent invested, you can't where are you gonna get that extra cash from in your ISA to, to actually go go at that stock? Yeah? So, you know, you've gotta be prepared and you've gotta be willing to have a little bit of cash there. But to go all cash, I think that's just I don't know. Yeah, I just I just I couldn't do that.
0: Or all gold, which uh, or all Bitcoin. <laughs> no,
1: couldn't couldn't go couldn't go either way on those things.
0: Yeah, I, I think being invested in equities is a, it's a sensible place to be. Over yeah, the long that's time. where the
1: wealth wealth is being built, and goes back to what Phil was saying. The longer that you're invested, the longer you're going to be able to generate significant change in your wealth.
0: I would agree. I mean, one of the thing I've written about in my editorial this week, and it, it's after our diversification seminar we had. You know, there yeah. are sort of some rules around asset allocation and diversification yeah. that that we sort of apply as rules of thumbs about mm-hmm. about you know the level of equity exposure you should have versus yeah, bonds yeah. and and, and non correlated stuff like property mm-hmm. or gold or cash. Um, but actually, I, I'm increasingly thinking, and James Norrington has has explored this in his he's uh, looked at U.S. hedge fund letters this week, and one right. of them is saying actually we should think about diversification differently, and we should be thinking about Themes. Mm-hmm. What is the and it goes back to you know your yeah. your your uh, your mm. you know conceptual framework for what you're doing. And I think that's really interesting. I'm I'm mm. really this idea is really growing on me. What is the how is the world changing? And who's gonna be disrupted and who's gonna be doing the disrupting? And I, I'm increasingly drawn to this idea. A lot of the disruptions I say
1: quite a lot of disruptions is going on at the moment. Obviously we've got Tesla doing all manner of different things. Um but Artificial intelligence, big data, and uh, quantum computing—it's all there. It's going to impact every single thing from, mm. from, from 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 pharmaceuticals down to to drugs, but also food. So we, we've got now plant plant-based products that are coming ah, out. Ah, we were going to you talk know, about that, weren't well,
0: we? Well, you've got, we, have, we have, we've, we've only got five minutes left, <laughs> and we haven't even touched on any of yeah. the companies reporting this week. So
1: so so all of these technologies are going to in, invariably impact us. I think it goes back to the the sense of how much water we're using around the world to produce meats. So, you know, if we can use technology for the greater good of the whole,
0: you know, globe, then why not? I just, so so let's, let's quickly talk about a couple of companies this week okay. um, that, that actually tap into that theme. One is Cranswick, which is a meat producer, and one is Cakebox, which mm. uh, is a cake franchise operator, but, mm. but which is sort of, there's a, there's a vegan element mm. to that. Uh, and,
2: sort of egg-free, not, yep. it's not vegan. They, yeah. might, they must La- do something. There are some mm. there are some vegan cakes, but the cream a lot of the cream
0: is it's dairy is yeah. from cow. This yeah. this vegan thing is I mean, mm. it's, it's spreading like wildfire. Yeah. I have to say, yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, there's a mm. Netflix documentary that I believe is behind this called Game Changers. Ah, oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Which yeah. is uh, which is about the mm. sort of, uh, the uh, health benefits, the exercise benefits mm-hmm. of uh, veganism. Yeah. And apparently, Arnold Schwarzenegger is uh, is a big advocate these days. But but yeah, this is this is really interesting. in The context of Kranswick which is a meat company yeah, and, and, and the prospects there and, and, and what's happening. It's mm. you know, how, how does the trend affect mm. these companies? Well, it's, it's interesting. And in Cr- in Cranswick,
2: one of the things that's going well for Cranswick at the moment is that the Chinese have a, seems to be an insatiable appetite for, for meat. They're eating more meat and they're, they're eating a lot of pork meat, mm-hmm. which is where, uh, Cranswick specializes and obviously they've got problems that you know there's problems with things like swine flu out there, so the domestic production of it is not great, which has been fairly decent for Cranswick because they're selling into a a strong market but there's other things going on at Cranswick as well which are are quite interesting there's a huge amount of investment got into this business, not just in terms of the the big theme on Cranswick is premiumization of of food. And we've talked about this before on the podcast about this is premiumization of food, drink, hotels, travel, that kind of thing. It that is a, a big theme and, and Cranswick is playing that on uh on meat and also, you know, poultry and it's it's ventured into um uh, Mediterranean foods now. And there's a huge amount of investment going in there. And hopefully that's going to pay off with uh you know big increases in profits over the next two or three years. And Cranswick's a share that's been struggling to grow. And um, the share price has really treaded water for the last two and a bit years. And the results this week were, you know, quite hard work. There wasn't wasn't really much growth there. But with these new new investments, particularly in poultry um, and also the export side of this, there is a little bit of hope there that, that better times may be ahead for Cranswick on its profits. It's been a it's been a good long term performer though. It has, but the last
0: two years have been you've, you've not really made much money in it. Mm. I wonder. I mean, you're seeing some some other meat. I mean, Hilton Foods is the other big big meat producer in the UK, <laughs> um, and they've, I think they have actually invested in in vegan ranges. So, so maybe they're disrupting you know disrupting uh, themselves. Yeah, they want to be out. Ve- veganism is is massive. I mean, my
2: wife is a vegan. Oh, is she? She is. And. Um, it just seems to me that every every week, you know, just doing the weekly shop, there's a different product coming on. Oh, it's, it's extraordinary. But, you know, it's interesting that like, companies like, you know, Unilever, it's not just new companies, but, you know, Unilever makes vegan magnums, vegan Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So they're all the, these existing companies. Whilst there's disruption going on with changes in consumer preferences and, and that kind of thing, it's the company. You've got to have an example here of the company that's
0: adapting to that and changing, exploiting that. But you've got to make mm. sure the companies you're invested in are adapting to that. Yeah. That they're not going mm. to be, mm. you know, ignoring these trends, not not playing them, yeah. and then getting getting basically I mean, competed Ber- out of the market. Burger King are bringing out a vegan
2: vegan Whopper. I think. I think they've already done it. Or, or, mm. or the on meat Whopper. There's another, mm. there's another big burger coming through. So yeah. I was going to say, part of
1: the, the, the adaptability is watching out for the companies that aren't innovating, that aren't adapting, yeah. that aren't looking at what's going on regarding this meat theme or whatever, because you've got retailers that have just stand on their, stood on their laurels for absolutely ages and are now stagnating or having to shut up shop. We've just recently lost Mothercare, for instance, that's been around for absolute decades. You know, it's going to the wall.
2: So you've got to adapt. I totally agree. I just throw one sort of one thing back at this: is that whilst the world does change. Lots of things stay, stay the same. same. That is true. So we can we can get ourselves really immersed in these changing themes. But one of the one of the most successful ways to invest, certainly in recent years, has been to buy companies that make things that don't go out of fashion. You know, great example. You know, I think one of the best examples out there is something like Diageo. You know, do I think people will be drinking Johnny Walker Black Label Scotch in hundred years' time? Yeah, it's a good Mm -hmm. chance. Good chance that they will be.
0: Yeah, but then equally, you're getting you're getting more and more teetotalers out there as well. You are, you are. So, but but it's a prem
2: it's a mm premiumisation theme, you know. So they might not drink bells, but they might they might they might drink fewer alcoholic drinks. Mm -hmm. When they drink, they'll drink better stuff. Mm,
0: absolutely. Um, should we talk Cakebox quickly? I think we've got a couple of minutes. So Cakebox is is really interesting. I must admit, I've never paid it much attention. Um, it sells cake, and I think everyone's had a had a bit of a nightmare experience with one other company that uh, that that sold cake, and it didn't go so well. Patisserie mm. uh, Valerie, Patisserie. Um, you, Cakebox looks a bit different. You think, Phil?
2: Yeah. I mean, this is a this is a, a, a franchise company, so. Cake box makes makes the ingredients, the sponges, and then the ingredients that go in the cake, and it sells them to franchisees. And it takes a royalty so it makes it's a bit like Domino's Domino's Pizza. Like Domino's Domino's pizza. pizza so yeah, it makes yeah. money from selling ingredients and then it gets a royalty fee from its franchisees on, on selling cakes. Um this is this to me is like a classic retail rollout story. So you has got about hundred and twenty-seven shops heavily concentrated into london southeast spreading out into the midlands and the north into wales and you have got a business that's doing about 6% underlying like for likes you've got a maturing maturing sales base you've got the theme and you've probably got the potential now to to keep keep on growing the number of outlets but it's actually very low risk for Cakebox because they're not taking on all the costs of expansion that's taken on by the franchisees. They're the ones that are buying the shops, fitting out the shops. And this, this to me, looks a, a decent theme. It's highly cash-generative. Profits have stumbled a bit at the half-year because of higher costs, but I think they're going to come off in the in the second half. They'll sort of level out. A lot of it's the cost of listing and the admin costs of... Of growing the business and the business looks looks well well placed to grow it's on a reasonable rating of about 17 times three percent yield this is a company that will stop growing eventually and i and i say i've studied retail rollouts quite closely and it is often a, a case of better to travel than arrive so when you're opening lots of shops and you get this maturation effect coming through of the shops getting up to speed and getting to their potential level of sales and profits, you can get very strong earnings growth, cash flow growth, dividend growth. And, um, now it looks like quite a good time to, to have a look at this on reasonable ratings, paying a good dividend, it's backed by cash. And on a positive note, the, the finance director bought £225,000 worth of shares. Always nice to see. Following the results. So I think that's, uh, I talk about this in, obviously in greater depth in my alpha for alpha subscribers, uh, that's a business that I quite like. Whether it's a buy and hold forever, I'm not sure, but I think it's still got legs.
0: Yeah, I mean it seems like a long way from uh, saturation there. 127 shops. That's, yeah, uh, yeah, that's pretty pretty small for a yeah. You could for see a national them doing double that. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I think what I'm saying is looking for 250 in the next few years. Yeah. And um, what was it? One in twenty individuals have got an egg allergy, so lacto vegetarianism could grow.
0: I, I'm absolutely convinced of that theme. Mm. Uh, I live in a vegetarian household. I eat fish, don't tell the world. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, no, I, 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 yeah, absolutely fascinating story there. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Pete. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank uh, you very much for having your, me, John. Uh, No, no problem at all. Hopefully, have you again at some point. Yeah. Um, let me talk you through what else we've got in the magazine I've already mentioned James Norrington's second feature on hedge fund letters um, we're also doing a, we've got a big piece on miners uh, and some of the gambles that some some of the sort of uh, smaller miners around the world are taking it's no, that is an interesting business with potentially more legs than you would imagine lots and lots in the results section 15 pages of results uh, it's been an absolute horror of a week getting those on page uh, all the usual funds and personal finance stuff they'll be uh, talking about that on their podcast tomorrow um, lots of comments uh, including. Including the return of Phil uh, after a few weeks' break. Uh, looking at valuation, as we mentioned already, and uh, and five pages of Simon. Don't think he mentioned ago this week. Well, but, uh, I'll let him off. Let him off for It's
1: well, done well enough already.
0: Yeah, no, lots, lots of uh, lots of updates there from Simon, and lots of the news section. Uh, some political stuff, as you would imagine, uh, as we uh, approach the general election. Particularly stuff around the utilities, which are uh, in the crosshairs of uh, a potential Jeremy Corbyn government. Oh, and the Eddie Stobart thing, which is uh, a very strange situation. Indeed. Anyway, thank you for listening. Thanks again Phil and thank you Pete. The main story this week is uh, actually the idea that that private companies are becoming more prevalent, that many companies are choosing not to list on public markets at all. And and uh, investors really need to think about this and how they actually play this big trend, the death of markets, the private paradox, why companies are turning their backs on public markets and what shareholders can do about it. Thank you very much for listening. Pick up the magazine and all good news agents or get online and subscribe. And we will be back again next week. Thank you.